It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Thursday, July 15th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The latest surge in COVID-19 cases has put Sitka at the front of the pack in Southeast, with 60 new infections in the last week alone. Emergency officials say the surge is driven by residents who refuse vaccination, even in the face of the more dangerous Delta variant of the virus. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Sitka is putting up numbers that previously haven't been seen during the pandemic. A total of six people were hospitalized with COVID-19 in 2021. Just last week, 15 people were admitted to the Mount Edgecombe Medical Center. There have been 474 total cases of COVID-19 during the entire pandemic, 60 of them just last week. Dr. Elliot Brule, Chief Medical Officer for the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, says this reflects the reality of the Delta variant combined with groups of people who are still highly susceptible because they choose to remain unvaccinated. Brule addressed the Sitka Assembly on July 13th. Really what's going on here is uh, an issue of people ending up in the hospital who are unvaccinated. And as we look at this growth in cases here in the last 12 days or so, it's really been centered in three clusters uh, or groups of people who have chosen not to get vaccinated and also chosen to associate closely with one another. The Mount Edgecombe Medical Center has 25 acute care beds. Brule said that search was bumping up against capacity during the current surge, but the organization's contingency planning at the beginning of the pandemic was proving effective. Brule was joined by Sitka's incident commander, Fire Chief Craig Warren, who, although he didn't specify which groups were resisting vaccination, reminded everyone that the decision to vaccinate or not had implications far beyond the individual. When personal choice starts to have consequences to the community, the risks are enormous. It affects our children and the school's ability to reopen the daycares and keeping the parents at work. It affects hospital capacity, businesses, and Sitka's economy. We've signed cruise ship agreements where we've made that industry reach vaccination and safety levels that Sitka has not been able to reach. The Alaska Department of Health and Social Services reported last week that the Delta variant was now the prevalent strain of the coronavirus in Alaska. Delta is more highly communicable than earlier strains, and the outcomes can be more serious. Warren said residents needed to remain vigilant. This disease has changed, and we are not fighting the same disease we were up against last year. Nevertheless, officials say a full course of vaccination remains effective against even the Delta variant. Warren said that 21 of the 87 COVID cases reported in Sitka since June were among vaccinated individuals, and most of those were asymptomatic. Only one vaccinated patient was hospitalized for additional treatment. Sitka's surge of 67 active cases far outstrips any other community in southeast at the moment, Juneau is reporting 15 active cases, Ketchikan 8, Petersburg 9, and Wrangell 0. Sitka's vaccination rate, however, is fairly high, with 66% of the eligible population fully vaccinated. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
The Sitka Emergency Operations Center has recommended a return to wearing face coverings in public places, regardless of your vaccination status. The city of Sitka on Wednesday reinstated a masking requirement in municipal buildings if six feet of social distance cannot be maintained. You can find links to information about how to get vaccinated in Sitka on our website, kcaw.org. After months of back and forth, considering proposals, and then returning to the drawing board, the city is finally moving forward with a public-private haul-out project at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park. When the Sitka Assembly met on Tuesday, it reviewed a proposal from a new entity called the Sitka Community Boatyard. The group plans to develop a marine haul-out in several phases, including a 150-ton travel lift and a washdown pad on a seven-acre lot at the park. Linda Bankin directs the Alaska Longland Fishermen's Association and is the board president of the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust. We need a boatyard by next year and we won't get there unless we get started. As you know, we have over 600 commercial boats home ported here. Every one of those boats has to haul every year to meet insurance requirements and to be safe and be efficient. And you know, personally, we know of a million dollars spent by vessel owners this past year out of town that would have loved to do that work here, but had to leave town to get the work done. Bankin said they need a lease to get the ball rolling, especially to secure financing and permits. The group projects it will cost around $2.9 million, a lower price tag than some previous haul-out proposals considered by the Assembly. The price tag is also lower than the RAISE grant the city applied for to fund a haul-out project. Although it's still unknown whether the city will receive the federal funding, Administrator John Leach said he wanted to proceed with the haul-out project as if no additional money was coming in. I think if, if the RAISE grant does turn out to be a reality, then we come back and talk about how this plugs in. We're giving them a bit-by-bit bit chance to get there, and if this, if this grant doesn't happen, we're still committed to work with this group to push this uh, boatyard forward. Both Bankin and Park Director Gary White said the project timeline was aggressive, and if the boatyard doesn't meet goals, the city has the ability to cancel the lease and take over the project. But member Valerie Nelson said she'd heard some concerns and wanted to make sure the assembly would get another stamp of approval on the final lease. I have had concerns from fishermen in the community that maybe, you know, we're rushing because we feel this is a crisis, but we do have to make sure we're making the best decision for the community as a whole. The Assembly unanimously voted to direct the city administrator to draw up a lease based on the Sitka Community Boatyard proposal. A final lease will come before the Assembly for final approval at a future meeting. A proposed winter ferry schedule released this week projects long gaps. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, southeast towns like Sitka, Wrangell, and Petersburg would receive infrequent ferries, whereas Kodiak and some south-central communities could see improved service. From October through the end of April, the Alaska Marine Highway System will have at most five ships running at any one time. And one of those vessels shuttles between Ketchikan and Metlakatla, leaving at most four to provide regional service across coastal Alaska. It's disappointing to see such gaps still for so many communities. Um, there's apparently no service to 
a number of the village communities for great length of time. Southeast Conference is a regional civic and business organization that advocates for the ferry system. Executive Director Robert Venables says he hopes private operators might step up to fill some of the need. Uh, maybe it's not as bad as it looks, but it's a little disheartening at first glance. Alaska Department of Transportation spokesman Andy Mills says the draft winter schedule reflects the best the state can do, given the available funding and the maintenance needs of the ships being overhauled. We do our best to, to juggle all of the considerations uh, when it comes to formulating the schedule and working directly with folks that that uh, look for the service of coastal communities. Um, we continue to advocate uh, for uh, various things in the system that will improve service and reliability. The ferry system will have around $54 million in state funding to operate over the next year and a half. Add a one-time infusion of about $72 million in federal relief dollars, and transportation officials say that's allowed the system to be forward-funded through the end of 2022. But it's still not as much as the legislature would have liked Governor Mike Dunleavy vetoed nearly $8.5 million of the state appropriation, which trimmed the Marine Highway's operating budget. You know, we're still working with the governor, and there were a lot of vetoes that need to be addressed. And so, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. That's House Speaker Louise Stutes, a Kodiak Republican. She says the final amount of state funding isn't set in stone, as lawmakers will be meeting next month in a special session to consider their options. It takes a three-quarters vote to override a veto, but with the fate of the permanent fund dividend check and other considerations in play, a lot will be on the table when lawmakers return to Juneau. But overall, she says she's pleased with the schedule. That's because Kodiak Island and Prince William Sound communities have shorter service gaps compared to last year. We went long periods with no ferries, and so I think that they're just trying to make it a little more spread out, and some communities are getting a little more, and some are getting a little less. Another bright spot is that one of the Alaska-class ferries will be modified to extend its service range. The $60 million Hubbard has yet to enter service since being completed last year. It's going in for crew quarters on November 1st. Coast Guard regulations limit a crew member's working hours to no more than 12 hours, so that'll extend its service range by making space for a relief crew on board the vessel. But as was the case last year, neither of the two Alaska-class ferries will be on the board. The Taslina and Hubbard will both be either in layup, undergoing modifications, or being overhauled. And the largest ship in the Marine Highways fleet, the Columbia, continues to be idled as a cost-savings measure. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. A 25-year-old Sitka woman was medevaced to Anchorage after she rolled her car on Cascade Creek Road Tuesday evening. 911 dispatchers received a call about the accident shortly after 6.45 p.m. According to police spokesperson Serena Wild, the woman was driving her 1995 Ford Bronco down the steep street. She turned right into a driveway and her car rolled. She was ejected from the vehicle. When officers arrived, the woman was responsive and said she felt like her hip was broken. She was taken to Mount Edgecombe Medical Center and later medevaced to Anchorage for treatments for her injuries. City Public Works staff cleared the vehicle from the roadway. Officers are still investigating the cause of the accident to confirm whether it was caused by operator error or a mechanical failure of the car. Wild said that officers do not suspect drugs or alcohol were factors in the accident. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.